You are now listening to the Cruise Control Podcast here on SoundCloud and iTunes. I am your host, Randy Cruz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. So tonight we have a good friend of mine, Ian Begley of ESPNNewYork.com. He's on Twitter at Ian Begley. Does great work for the Knicks year in, year out. This year should be kind of different. <laughs> no Phil Jackson. No Carmelo Anthony with the team. Porzingis is the man. Got like eight, nine new players. They had the media day early in the week. Training camp is underway. Ian Begley, my man, how are you doing? Randy, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Can't complain. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. I know I know, it's been a while, but uh, you're always welcome back, bro. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Where am I on the standings? I just want to make sure I'm ahead of Bobby C still. I, I, I think you have surpassed Bobby C. Bobby C has not been on the show in about a year and a half. He's busy doing his own thing, so whenever I get you on, the the, the rankings are like me, G-Stacks, Ian Begley, Bobby C. Nice. I just wanted to make sure I was still in third. I'm happy. <laughs> hey, you're 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 in third place. You're you're a hoops in the sun Hall of Famer, so you're ready. You you got a lot of stuff already, bro. I got the plaque in my apartment. That's for sure. <laughs> Looking all nice, right? Yes, sir. All right. Um, Ian Begley, ESPN New York. Uh, he's on Twitter at Ian Begley, which I guess the more important question I got for you right now, Ian, is the fact that you have, you know, over 59,000 followers on Twitter. You do a great job covering the Knicks day in, day out. You sometimes break stories. and You're, you're not yet verified. What's the deal between you and Twitter, man? <laughs> Somebody was saying the other day, a couple weeks ago, like, I have to put up a, a a background picture before they verify you. So I think that's the holdup. So I guess I have to do that, and I'll do that at some point. I'll change the picture, and then I'll send an email. I guess you email Twitter, uh, but I, it's just not at the top of my list, man. I don't, I don't know if I'm making a mistake or not, but it's just I got other things to do. But I will eventually. I'll put a picture up and uh, hopefully get verified. We'll see. You need a background picture. You need a facial picture. No more that ESPN and wide avatar. We need Ian Begley verified ASAP, man. I got to update it. I got to update it. I know. I know. I've been lazy <laughs> with that. Um, I blame Phil and Carmelo. They've been keeping me <laughs> You know what? Put 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 Ian Begley in a hoodie and, 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 and you'll be good to go. That's <laughs> uh, funny. That's funny. Um but yeah, yeah, so far so good up there with the Knicks. Um, you know, for, for some reason things have been pretty quiet lately after the Mellow Tree, but we, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, you know, you, you know, like I said before, you've been doing it for quite a while covering the Knicks for ESPN. Um, what year is this for you covering the team? Oof, that's a good question. So, uh, I was helping out the year before the lockout. And then it was my buddy Jared Zwirling and I covering the team the lockout year, which was 11-12, I want to say. I think I'm right. 11-12, I think. And then, uh, yeah, is that right? 
I think it was 11, 12, or, or maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe it was 10, 11. Either way, that lockout year was the first year. I think it was 10, 11. was the first year that uh, that I started covering with uh, with Jared. And then I've been there since. Okay, so now we're talking about six, seven years deep into covering the Knicks. Uh, not many playoff berths, um, but, uh, you know, um, this season, brand new. Everything's brand new with the team. No, no more Phil Jackson. No more Carmelo Anthony. But for you, how mentally ready are you? How physically ready are are you, are, are you for another uh, quote unquote roller coaster season that the Knicks will partake in this year? <laughs> so uh, physically, because I'm a new dad, I got a dad bod, so I'm in bad shape. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, listen, if you've been around this team enough the last couple of years, especially last year, you know crazy things are going to happen. So I feel like mentally I'm prepared for anything, just having been around the team for the last year. But I, I honestly think, you know, they have a chance here with with the Phil Carmelo stuff kind of in the rearview mirror. I think they have a chance to be a little bit more normal, you know, with Steve Mills and Scott Perry. And they have a clear direction building around – Kristaps Porzingis and this young nucleus. Um, you know, once they once they get a couple more personnel moves sorted out and excuse me, get charted on 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 their course, I think they have a chance to be a little more normal. I'm not saying it's going to happen because you know there's still the Charles Oakley thing. Jim Dolan still owns the team. There's you know always something crazy could be around the corner. But I just think with the Carmelo and the Phil thing out of the way. Are not not present anymore. I think they have a chance to be a little quieter this year. Well, the training camp and the media day is already underway. You were there, um, I believe, on Monday, and and then me and you both mentioned no no Phil, no Carmelo, no Phil since 2014, no Melo since I think 2011, 2012. When you walked in there and saw you know everybody knew, what was the aura feeling like that you got from from media day on Monday? So again, it was uh, with no fail there. It seemed like that press conference when we talked to Steve Mills and Scott Perry about the Carmelo trade. You know, they they were pretty polished. They were not um, saying anything that was inflammatory, that was headline worthy. And then, you know, same thing with the players. Porzingis, we asked him about, you know, skipping the exit meeting and any issues he had with Hollingsack. He said he didn't want to go there. He was looking forward, looking ahead to the future, to this season. He wasn't thinking about last year. So just from to, to continue that theme of it being a little bit more quiet, there wasn't a lot of, of, of like, big headlines coming out of media day, you know, because of how they handled things. And obviously no Carmelo there. So that storyline left New York and was, and was in OKC. So it was, there was a different, a little quieter vibe, a little more of a relaxed vibe um, so far up in training camp and media day and, and so far up in Tarrytown uh, with the practices. Now, you know, a, you know, including me being a fan for so long and, and the fans just, just waiting to see what was going to happen with Carmelo Anthony and the fact that, you know, his first team that he wanted to go to was Houston. That deal, you know, did not get, you know, 
did not go through. And then all of a sudden, over the weekend, I think Friday or Saturday, he said Cleveland, and he added um, the OKC Thunder to potential um, destinations for him. Now, uh, you know, as fans, we kind of knew Melo was going to get traded at some point. Maybe he'll last one more year. Maybe he'll last through the, the, the whole trade deadline. When he added the Thunder... And he got traded the very next day, or maybe day and a half. Were you surprised that uh, Melo was, you know, was traded before training camp, or the fact that he got traded so quick to OKC Thunder? So I think what they were dealing with, you know, was like this artificial deadline, right? Because that Monday, as we said, was media day, right. and Carmelo didn't want to be a Nick for media day. He wanted to be somewhere else. He wanted a fresh start. The Knicks, if they had their preference, I think, wanted to try to avoid like what was going to be a circus-like atmosphere with Melo at Media Day because all the questions would be about Melo's uncertain future, the trade talks, where he wanted to be, why he wasn't there. So it would have been a, a, a media, you know, a big story and a distraction, and I think it's one that both parties wanted to avoid. So if you remember on that Friday before the trade, Scott Perry, Steve Mills said, we expect Carmelo to be here. And then after that, well, actually prior to that, they had known that Melo had started to open up his list. But I think the idea of Melo coming there, being in New York on Monday, really, you know, it didn't sit well with either party. And that's what motivated them to figure something out over the weekend and to get something done. Now, at, at, at what point did you feel like it was the the, the – eventual downfall where Melo said, you know what, I got to get out of here. Was it the whole Phil, Phil Jackson departure? Was it, um, you know, any any other part that made him say, you know what, this this got to be the final straw. I got to I gotta get out of here. What was the point that, that, that Melo probably said, you know what, this is it? I think it was really towards the end of last year. Like, you know, you started to hear from people who were around the team, around him, he was kind of talk about, talking about things as in a past tense and as if it, he wasn't going to be back. But I think also even after the season, like he was kind of going back and forth about does he want to stick around because of the family situation? Does he want to stay in New York? Uh, or does he still want to go? I think if it was purely basketball, he would have had his mindset to go. But um, I think the idea of playing with Chris Paul in Houston – um, combined with how Phil handled things in his press conference after the season and the idea that that, that Houston deal was a, a very real possibility, I think that's what motivated him to say, all right, I'm ready to go. And he became locked in on Houston. Obviously, the Houston deal couldn't get done, and they were so far down the road with the idea of he didn't want to be here anymore, the Knicks didn't want him here that they figured out another avenue and he opened things up to Cleveland and OKC and they got the deal done with OKC. Now, did you honestly think that Melo would be here for the entire season or probably get dealt by the, by the trade deadline in, 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 in February? Yeah, I thought if he was going to be here, um, that what would happen was he like things would open up in the middle of December because December 15th is when free agents who sign with new teams in the summer can be traded. So I thought different options would open up at that point if Carmelo was, was still a Nick and playing with the Knicks. You know, I, I, if he was healthy, I thought his trade value would still be there. And then maybe 
some of these free agents that sign with other teams, maybe teams looking to move a guy who they signed, and the, the market opens up a little bit for Carmelo Street. So I thought if he was here, it was probably going to be till mid-December, and then they would figure something out. Now, what are some of the takeaways you uh, that you saw at, at at media day? How the how the the players were reacting? Did they look in good spirits? Did they come in there saying, "All right, this is probably a, a, a new regime, a new uh, uh, you know, a, a, a new regime where everything is brand new and different"? What was the what was some takeaways that obviously the fans could not see, um, you know, online or whatever? But what was some takeaway that, that you saw on on, on Monday? You know, Randy, I, you know, I've done a couple media days, a few media days at this point, and guys, on this day, everybody's optimistic. Everybody thinks that, you know, they're a playoff team. Everybody thinks that everything is going to go great and they're in great shape and they're feeling good. So it's hard to glean a ton of insight from the conversations you have with guys on that day. Uh, but one, t- one takeaway I had was, was Frank Nelikina. You know, he, he referenced a few times how confident he is in his game. And, you know, that's so important, uh, especially for a 19-year-old kid never played in the NBA, um, to have that inner confidence. Because it's going to be, you know, he's going to have a rocky road here. Any 19-year-old in the NBA um, is going to struggle at some point. But it seems like, you know, mentally he'll be able to handle those struggles, and that's important. Um, because they're going to come. And then the other thing was, uh, Ennis Cantor genuinely seemed excited to be in this city, to play here. Um, he talked about how, you know, he was going to go to Kentucky in college, and then he played in Utah, played in OKC. He's always been in these smaller markets. He was excited to be in a bigger market. He seems like he has a great personality, and, and that'll shine through. Um, this season. So those were the two things that I thought were interesting uh, coming out of media day. Now you mentioned Frank. Uh, I think I read earlier where, you know, uh, Ramon Sessions, who have been a backup point guard for, for so many years in the league, kind of, kind of compared Frank to a young Kyrie Irving. We have no idea if that's going to happen, but, but, but Ian, please tell me that we have the second coming of Kyrie Irving with Frank. Please, please tell me that. You know what's funny? Um, I, I can't tell you that, but I'm going to respect what Ramon Sessions is saying, and I'm going to respect his opinion because he's in the gym. He's playing with Frank. He's played with Kyrie. Right. I would be stunned if the handle was anywhere near Kyrie, if Frank's handle was anywhere near Kyrie's. Um, he referenced his Frank's ability to finish at the rim, which, you know, could be great. I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Frank, so... I'm going to defer to to Sessions there. But one thing that we think we know about Frank, when you're talking about Kyrie Irving, is Frank should be a better defender than Kyrie. Frank's defense has been highly touted by many people in the organization. Um, You look at his wingspan, almost a seven-foot wingspan. He's athletic. So he should be able to guard, you know, the, the lead guard spot, which is the toughest position to defend in the league, much better than Kyrie has. So... If he's anywhere near Kyrie on offense and he can defend better than Kyrie, then he looks like he could be a pretty good two-way player. But, again, you know, we're two days into training camp. I think Sessions was was trying to be complimentary. He's trying to say a nice thing about the rookie, which is great. But now I think maybe some people see that quote and expectations for Frank go through the roof. Um, So I think, you know, maybe let's tamp it down a little bit. 
Uh, I think Sessions, again, was just trying to be nice. Um, I'm sure there's some truth to the comparison, uh, but I don't think the Knicks have the next Kyrie on their hands right now. Now, you know, Porzingis, who is going to be the man here in New York um, for the foreseeable future, it said something very interesting on, on Monday, the fact that, yes, Phil Jackson is gone, but some aspects of the triangle is going to be run by by Jeff Hornacek. Like now, should fans freak out about that or the fact that the whole thing about the triangle offense is, is totally out the window? So the way that I understood it and the way that it's been talked about by Jeff Hornacek is, you know, there are going to be elements of the triangle offense in the, what the Knicks do, but it's the same elements of the triangle, quote-unquote, that you see in 80, 90% of other NBA offenses. You throw it in the post and you cut off the post. And that, that happens in every offense. You set up with three on the strong side, two on the weak side. That happens in most NBA offenses. So, yeah, I think you'll see that kind of a format when they're in the half court. But you'll see more high pick and roll, more side pick and roll with Jeff's offense. He's made clear he wants to pick up the pace and get out in transition, get easier, look at the basket, do a lot more in early offense. So you're going to see some elements of the triangle just because you see elements of the triangle in almost every NBA offense, but they're not going to be as rigid in, in running it You know, every time down the court as we saw in 14-15 somewhat, a little bit in 15-16, and as we saw in some, some parts of last season. So... I don't. I don't think people, you know, the the, the crowd out there that is sick of the triangle and and watched it the last few years and didn't see the Knicks prosper while running it. I don't think they need to be worried that that's the offense they're going to see again this season. Now I know one guy who should be very, you know, happy or anxious to 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 get out there is is Jeff Hornacek. Now that you know. He can go out there and not have Phil Jackson hovering over about running the triangle all game or half the game. Now, how free is Jeff Hornacek now that he can kind of run his own offense? Yeah, free as a bird. He's got, you know, Phil Jackson, you know, was going on a practice court last year and, and kind of trying to tutor guys um, in, in, on the offense. And listen, He's an Hall of Fame head coach. No one knows that offense better than he does. Right. No one can teach it better than he does. So, in one respect, you understand why he's doing that because he wants the best for the Knicks. But also, on the other hand, it creates this kind of confusion among players because you have so many you have different voices telling you different things, and you know it usurps Hornacek's role a little bit. And I think it would lead a player to maybe have a little bit less respect for Hornacek if they're seeing the team president run drills. So that's not going to be an issue this year. Steve Mills is not going to be running any drills, telling Jeff what to do. It's going to be Jeff's show, and he's got a chance to make his own mark here. But, you know, if, if things go poorly, if the Knicks struggle, then, you know, there's no, no finger pointing at Phil. Phil's not there to kind of take the blame then you're looking at Jeff a little bit and, and the players and management. And if you're going to do the blame game, you know, Phil was the guy who took it all on his shoulders because he was a convenient target in some instances. But now he's not there anymore. So Jeff will get some criticism if the next struggle. 
Now, a lot of fans, uh, you know, always like to compare Porzingis and Dirk. Now, you know, me going back to the to the stats where you know Dirk Nowitzki, um, in his fourth year, I, I think, uh, in year four is when we saw the evolution of Dirk, where he, you know, he made eleven straight All Star teams. After that, average twenty four and ten. Um, you saw a little bit of that in Dirk in year three, where we averaged um, twenty one and nine. They had a, they uh, they had a brief playoff run, second round. Now, but KP is in year three, um, and now he is the guy. He has the keys to to the kingdom at the Garden. Now, how prepared do you think, or you know, KP looks to to be in that spotlight day in and day out? I think mentally he's ready, which is important. Um, he's a pretty tough kid mentally. Physically, he's getting there. He's making improvements. Um, you know, he's ha- he had struggled with injuries the first couple of years in the league. His first couple of years in the league, he's gotten stronger um, over the course of the summer. So that should help. He's not where he needs to be. I don't think. I think they know that. I think he knows that. But it's a process, right? It's not supposed to happen overnight. So physically, yes, there. He's got. Room to improve. I think the best thing he has going for him, though, for this year is, listen, he's not going to be perfect. He's going to struggle at times. He's going to look great at times. But that's okay because there are no expectations with this team. It's not like people are predicting the Knicks to be second, third, fourth seed in the East. Like People are predicting them to struggle. So he'll be able to go through these inevitable growing pains without the burden of those high expectations for team success. Um, so I think that's that's a benefit for him, and it'll allow him to kind of develop over time um, without the frustration of not not winning or not reaching whatever people's outside expectations for the team are because they're not there this year. So so let me ask you this: um, you know, me all last week, even before Melo was traded, and the fact that a lot of a lot of key guys went from the East to the Western Conference, that, that, that I felt like the Knicks can be, or could could have been, a, a playoff team. Now with Melo uh, with the Thunder, what are the current realistic expectations for this team now, and what were the, what were the expectations even before Melo got traded? You know, Randy, I, I was with you. I thought if Melo was here, and, and everybody was healthy, even though, you know, we didn't know, we don't know what the point guard position is going to be. Even with that uncertainty, I thought that they could still be a team that was, you know, seven-day seed in the East because that's not, it, you're not going to need a lot of wins to be in that spot come mid-April, I don't think. But now, you know, I, I just don't see, like, just the way that they have so many question marks and so many positions. Like, yeah, you're penciling in. Tim Hardaway Jr. as your starting shooting guard, you're penciling in Porzingis as your starting power, power forward, but what else do you do? Like, who's your center? Who's your three? Who's your point guard? There's so many question marks that it's hard to see how everything comes together and they make the playoffs. I think they're they're going to struggle. And, you know, big picture, that's not the worst thing in the world because they do have their first-round pick in the 2018 NBA draft. Well, we do have a lot of new guys on this roster. For those who don't know, um, Tim Hardaway Jr., Michael Beasley, Frank Natilakina, Ramon Sessions, Jared Jack, Doug McDermott, um, um, Ennis Cantor, um, 
I mean, and, and then we do get uh, Joe Kinoa back from injury and, of course, the KPs of the world. But from the new guys, who has the potential to really make a, a, a much-needed difference to this roster? I think Mike Beasley, you know, he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to have the opportunity to get shots because, you know, Carmelo and his 20 shots a game are not here. So those shots are going to go to other people. And Jeff Wunasek has talked about wanting to distribute those, you know, over several guys rather than hand them to one guy. But I think Beasley's going to get an opportunity to make a difference here, especially on the offensive end because, you know, outside of Porzingis and Tim Hardaway, Knicks don't have a lot of guys that you can throw the ball to and ask, to ask them to get your basket. I don't even know if Harley's there yet. I think he'll show that this year. But outside of those two, you know, Beasley's the other guy. So I think he'll have the opportunities with the ball in his hand to create for himself, and I think he'll put up some pretty good numbers. Um, so that'll be good for him because he's in a contract year, and it'll be fun to watch. He, you know, so far he's shown himself to be a pretty interesting personality uh, in interviews. So I'm looking forward to kind of being around him this year and, and talking to him and, and hearing what he has to say about the game and about other things. Hey, Ian, you mentioned it. Michael Beasley so far has been very, very entertaining. <laughs> Something that we all need here. He, he, the guy wears three watches. He's talking about 10% of your brain being used, and this guy is just – a, a, a different figure, a, a different character. I, I, me, I'm hoping that he's one of one one of the guys that really does well. I'm not saying he's that he he's gonna go out there and get 25 a game, but someone that can really help poisoning us on the offensive end. But a guy like him, one year contract, same thing we did with D Rose last year. A guy that can you know kind of resurrect his career, and I think he, you know Michael has a big chance to do it here in New York. Yeah, he does. He's going to have the opportunity to score. He's going to have the ball in his hand. Um, and, you know, we'll see what he does with it. And, you know, you look at – Jeff has said a lot that he wants the ball to move. He doesn't want the ball to get stuck in anybody's hands. And he's referenced a couple of times how the Knicks played, the younger Knicks played late last season where the ball was moving a lot. Um, people were cutting. Um, you know, they were getting better looks. So maybe Michael Beasley can benefit from that style of play as well. You know, I think if he stays healthy and the Knicks run their offense the way that, that Jeff envisions it, I think Beasley could put up decent numbers. And also he's a guy, you know, he, he's not Carmelo Anthony, right? But with Carmelo, whenever a possession broke down at the end of the clock, the ball was in Carmelo's hands. He was, you know, having to bail the Knicks out. Whenever it was a bad possession, broken possession, Beasley, I think, will be Beasley and Porzingis and, and Hardaway will be those guys now. Where when a possession doesn't go as scripted, it's late in the shot clock. You need somebody to create something. That's where the ball is going. So I think Beasley will have an opportunity to make his mark. And, and when you put up numbers here, you know there's so much media, so much attention. It generally um, is a good thing for your free agency the following summer. So I think he's in a pretty good spot here. So as of right now, I know they get you know they they have the preseason, but as of right now, the the projected starting five, outside of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Porzingis, and maybe okay, you know what, KP and Tim Hardaway are for sure. Who is the five? Who is the three? And who is the one? So I'm gonna assume I'm just making an assumption here with the point guard position that it'll be Sessions, and then 
You know, the three is interesting because I think Jeff, if he wanted to, could play Courtney Lee there and then kind of just interspersed defensively based on the opponent, Lee and Hardaway, with, with Lee guarding the better of the two offensive players between the opponent's shooting guard and small forward. And then at center, you know, it's going to be interesting. Scott Perry already referenced how strong Ennis Cantor has been as a scorer off the bench. So maybe that's what they're thinking with him. And then they start Billy Hernan Gomez, or maybe they, they like Billy off the bench and they start Ennis or they start Kyle Quinn. So, you know, there are a lot of options there, a lot of things to, to shake loose. And that'll happen over the course of training camp. And it'll happen over the course of the preseason. And the coaches will have to figure it out. Um, but I would think that you go with sessions and maybe you go. Lance Thomas or Courtney Lee at the three, and then at the five, I would go Hernan Gomez. You know what? I, I think they have the talent on paper to, I wouldn't say make noise, but I think to, to make a run in that six, seven, eight spot, which leads me to my question where right now we have, you know, and, and I do want to get your input on who you think are the, are the eight in the Eastern Conference, Cleveland, obviously Boston, Toronto, Washington, Okay, I think that I think those are four uh, already locked down. Now, now it gets tricky. Where Miami, Charlotte, uh, Milwaukee, and then on the outside looking in, maybe Philadelphia, maybe New York, maybe a, a, a different team. Is there a team that you think has a better chance of making the playoffs, and then some of these teams, or who do you have in your eight right now? So I'm going. I'm going. I think Philly sneaks in, as you mentioned. Um, I like Charlotte. And obviously, Washington, Cleveland, Boston are in. And so, what do I have? Six there? You have five. Yeah, Toronto, obviously. That makes six. And then uh, Miami, I think, gets in. That makes seven. Am I seven? So, I have Philly, Miami, Charlotte, Washington. Toronto, Austin, and Cleveland. Cleveland. So one spot left. Oh, I had a spot left. Am I forgetting somebody? Because you mentioned eight, and I was on board with your eight. Um, I would say Milwaukee. Oh, right, 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 right. Excuse me, excuse me, Milwaukee. Yes, that's that's my eight. Yeah. So right now, you right now you have New York on the outside looking in, and then Philadelphia gets in. Yeah, because I think, well, listen, it's all obviously based on their health. But if Embiid's healthy, you get a healthy Simmons, you got Fultz, J.J. Reddick's going to be a big presence there. Uh, I think Sarich, if he comes off the bench, will play well for them. So uh, Covington, I think, is a very good player. So I think if those guys are healthy, I think they could sneak in the playoffs. Now, I know I know KP mentioned something where, you know, the quote-unquote not wanting to have like a losing mentality to think that, you know, since guys like Jimmy Butler, Paul George and Melo and, and, and other guys have gone from the East to the Western conference to think like, all right, now we can make the playoffs, but you know, Hey, hey, hey Ian, KP's my guy. If those guys can leave our conference to the West and we have a better chance of making the playoffs, then so be it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, I'll take it, but that also shows, you know, him being a leader. Like, listen, we got to go out there and do our thing. We can't 
say, okay, well, this guy it got traded to over there. Now, now we can make it. Or this guy got hurt over there. Now we have a chance. But like I said before, on paper they have a chance to to get in that. Well, last year they they won thirty one games. And again, there's there's no mellow on the roster. But you mean to tell me they can't win six, seven more games? Be more competitive again if everybody's healthy and they do their thing and KP really gets to average at least 20, 22 a game. He averaged 18 last year. I think they can make it, but I was more confident before the mellow trade than I am now. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that obviously you're losing so much scoring when you lose Carmelo, and it's not as if they brought back in that mellow trade, you know, the players where you think they're going to. You know, improve their defense because you know Cantor's hasn't been a plus defender in his career so far. I think six years. Doug McDermott hasn't been a plus defender, so yeah, I think if they brought back two young lockdown defenders, I think maybe you feel a little bit better about how much the players they bring back could improve them. But you know, with Cantor and McDermott, yeah, they're they're good offensive players. They're strong offensive players. Um, but I don't think scoring was a huge concern with this team. I think it was more on the defensive end, and that concern remains after the Carmelo trade, maybe even more so. So I agree with that. I think obviously their chances took a hit with the Melo trade, but I also do like Porzingis um, saying that, hey, we can't, we're not worried about Jimmy Butler leaving, Paul George leaving. We're not worried about that. It's about us, you know, reaching our potential, and, and not about being. Uh, benefiting from the circumstances in the Eastern Conference. I thought I thought that was a pretty good quote and a pretty good window into his mentality. I know a lot of fans were, you know, when they heard, oh, Melo got traded for Ennis Cantor and, and Doug McDermott, and then they were like, oh, that's it. Um, I mean, Ian, with Melo saying, hey, I'll, I would like to go to three teams out of 30 in, in, in the entire league, I mean – the this, the window is is very small to try, to try to get a decent talent of 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 mellow stature back, and with the whole thing with Houston, nobody wanted Ryan Anderson's contract, which I applaud the Knicks for not taking that contract. And then he says Cleveland, but then they already traded Kyrie. They're not trading anybody else. They, 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 you know, they're not trading Kevin Love at this point because they're they're, they're trying to make the finals again. Um, and then the you know okay you see. The, they're not trading Westbrook and Paul Joa. So when you only give three teams on your wish list to be traded to, I think you're just not going to get the proper um, the proper talent back. I mean, was was that the best deal you think the New York could have got? Probably for the time, the timing of the deal, probably for where they were uh, as close to the season as they were, it was probably the best they could do. But they could always have said, you know what? We're gonna. We're just gonna suck it up for a day. We're gonna have a, a bad, a day of bad headlines on media day, but we're gonna keep Carmelo here. We're gonna play with him. We're gonna like try to get you know his trade value to increase. We're gonna see where the season goes. Maybe other teams increase their offer because they become more desperate because of their situation to bring Carmelo in. So maybe the offers improve. I think they could have gone that route. They didn't. Um, but I, I would assume that, you know, given the timing of everything, this was probably one of the best offers that they could have gotten. But I think if they had waited, if they were patient and they decided, you know, we're going to take the risk of having Melo here, the risk that he could get hurt, and then, you know, we're stuck with him. We're fine with that risk. We're going to hopefully get a better deal by increasing his trade value. 
you know, they could have gone that route, but they did not. Was it odd for you to see Melo in a freaking Thunder uniform? Or the fact that he had white, orange, and blue on already, you know, you you, you kind of got used to it. You know what, man? After talking to the guy a lot during the basketball season for the last six and a half years, um, it, it's been different not having him around. It's it's uh, You could always kind of count on him to – give you some strong insight or share his opinion on something, and, and you knew people were going to be interested in it. And just from a, a media perspective, you know, you lose a little juice when uh, Carmelo goes. So, you know, selfishly, I was kind of hoping for them to hold out and have him be here through the trade uh, up until the trade deadline because, you know, it, makes, it gives you something to talk about. But uh, I'm happy for him because I know that he wanted out. He wanted to be put in a better situation where he could – win basketball games again, and I'm sure they're going to win a lot of games in OKC. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch, that's for sure. How great was it to, how great was it to see Melo wear the hoodie? <laughs> oh <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> on media day, he's taking the pictures and everything and doing the interviews on NBA TV. I mean, how great was it? We stole hoodie Melo now with the, with the Thunder. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. I have a feeling if he ended up coming to the Knicks media day, you would have seen that hoodie pulled tight, man. And like an unhappy hoodie mellow on if he was in Knicks media day, he would have the black hoodie on pulled tight, not showing a lot of his face. I think it would have been, uh, it would have been an unhappy hoodie mellow. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see him in a good place because listen, it, it got to the point where, it was better. It was the best thing to do for both him and the Knicks was to part ways. That's what happened. So, you know, we'll see where the Knicks go from here. We'll see where Carmelo goes from here. But it just got to a point where it wasn't going to work having them, you know, having Carmelo in New York just wasn't, it wasn't tolerable anymore. So they parted ways, and, and we'll see where they both go. Real quick before I let you go, how how would you sum up the time with uh, Carmelo Anthony here in New York? And you know, again, he was here in February 2011 until last week. Um, I think three correct correct me if I'm wrong. Three playoff playoff uh, appearances: 2011, 12, and 13. Second round in 2013, you get Amari, you get Chandler, you get uh, Billups, and then you draft Porzingis. Is it more of an, you know, when, when, when they say ups and downs, is it more ups or more downs or kind of equal to describe Carmelo Anthony's time here in New York? Probably more downs just because of the way things unfolded the last four years. Um, so it's just, you know, people want to put an easy label on things, right? If people want it to either be all the way one way, all the way the other way, black and white, binary. Um, but with Carmelo, I don't think you could do that because – you know, there were things that were under his control that he, he, he you know, maybe didn't fulfill where um, he could have been a better defender. He could have moved the ball more. You know, he could have, well, whatever you want to say, there were things that he could have done better here, and that contributed to the Knicks' lack of success. But there were things that were out of his control that also contributed to the Knicks' lack of success. So you can't, I don't think you could say, if you take a step back and look at the big picture, you can't say it's all Carmelo Anthony's fault that the Knicks weren't able to reach the heights that they had hoped for when they traded for him. You can't say it's all Nick management's fault. I think there's blame to go around everywhere, coaches, players, front office. Um, so it's just complicated, right? And I think that 
you can you can fault him for a lot of things, but you can't fault him for everything that went wrong here. A lot of things were out outside of his control, and I, you go back to his free agency in 2014, right? I just wonder how much different things could be for both the Knicks and for Carmelo. Because let's say Carmelo ended up going to Chicago, right? I would think that team makes the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, gives, I believe it was, was it the Heat then? LeBron's Heat team? Or was he back in Cleveland at that point? Uh, well, he was still with the Heat, I think. Yeah, he was. I think he okay. was or on his way out back to Cleveland. Right. So whatever. You would have given that LeBron team trouble if you're if you're Carmelo and you go to the Bulls. And then, you know, it's a, we're having a different conversation. And then the Knicks with Phil Jackson, they would have had the chance to rebuild um, in, a, in the truest sense of the word, through the draft, had cap space, build around Porzingis, not this confused timeline. Are we building around um, Porzingis, who's 21, or are we trying to build around Carmelo and, and put a winning team together? You don't have that kind of confusion, that mixed timeline. It's, it's more of a clear um, objective. So I just always wonder kind of how things would have been if Carmelo signed elsewhere in, uh, in 2014. But that didn't happen, and... You know, the last few years played out how they played out, and uh, and here we are. Melo's in Oklahoma City. The Knicks are where they are, and um, it should be a it should be a long, slow rebuild for them. But I think that's what what needs to happen for them to get this thing right because it hasn't been right for the past seventeen years. Two more before I let you go, Ian. I know you're a very busy guy, but um, in your mind, what was Carmelo Anthony's greatest moment? As a Nick, was it um, the shot against Chicago? Was it the game against Charlotte where he had the 62-point uh, game? Um, maybe some of the stuff that he was doing off the court. You know, what would you what would you say Carmelo Anthony's greatest moment as a Nick was? Mm, that's a that's a great question. Um, that Chicago game, man, was just crazy. It was late in the season. They were having a great year. And the roof was going to come off the garden, I thought, that day. And I just remember Melo hit that shot, and he was mouthing to the crowd, this is my house, this is my house. And that felt like one of his best moments. And that 62-point game was amazing, but they were already in the midst of a bad season, so it didn't mean that much really. You know, it's not a moment per se, but the way he played in 2012, 2013, with the leadership in that locker room with Jason Kidd, Kurt Thomas, uh, Marcus Canby, Kenyon Martin, the other statesmen in that locker room, prodding him to play the right way, and, and Carmelo really doing it, like moving the ball out of double teams and, and playing the four and just everything clicking really well for the Knicks in that 54-win season. That was, that. I mean, it's not a moment again, so I guess I'm not answering the question properly, but that to me, just that whole season, that was just a, uh, a fantastic time for the Knicks and for Carmelo in New York. All right, last one, Ian. What, what kind of mellow, uh, what kind of Carmelo Anthony are we going to get with OKC now that, you know, he was a guy here in New York you know, shooting 25 times uh, a game, getting, getting 25 a game, and now he goes to a team which I think is the best overall team talent roster he's ever had with New York or Denver, Paul George on one side, Russell Westbrook on the other side, now that Melo can still get 20 a game but not be the focal point of the offense, how easy is the game going to be for him? And, and what kind of Melo are we going to see with, with OKC? 
Well, let's see if these guys can figure it out, right? Because you're talking about three high usage guys on the floor at the same time. So that's that's tricky. It's it's going to take a little bit of time for them to make it work and to get in um, the kind of rhythm that it takes for all those guys to reach to be effective together, be to be as effective as they can be as a unit. Uh, but if they get there, then I think you know you look at the numbers from last year, Carmelo. I think it was like in the 95th percentile, something like that, as far as um, spot-up shooting last season in the NBA. So if you get him open looks, if he hangs out on the perimeter and Russell Westbrook sucks the defense in or Paul George sucks the defense in and he can get an open look on the perimeter and he shoots the way he shot the ball his whole career, he's going to be dangerous and he's not going to score 25 a game and he's not going to shoot the ball 20 times a game. But he's going to be a weapon for them and, and – <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, if things align in a way that allows each of those guys to accentuate what they do best and they don't step on each other's toes, he's going to be incredibly efficient, probably in a way we haven't seen before from Carmelo. And the Thunder are going to be a very good team. Ian Begley, ESPNNewYork.com, at Ian Begley on, on Twitter. Great job as always, my man. I wish you the best of, of luck with the with, with the, uh, the Knicks in the season. Hopefully they make the playoffs. Hopefully your job is not as stressful <laughs> as it has been. <laughs> so um, I know me and you will catch up soon, but you always do a great job. You always show love to to the, to the podcast and my tournament. Um, I greatly appreciate you coming on, and I know we'll link up soon. Hey, Randy, I appreciate you, man. Um, Send my best to the family. Always happy to be with you. And yeah, we'll definitely talk soon. Thanks, man. Hopefully, hopefully you get verified on Twitter soon, man. Let, <laughs> let's let's make that happen. On it. <laughs> All right, Ian. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, Randy. Be good, man. Take care. All right, you too.